I just noticed that we bring servers all the way from Brazil. Great. Today we're going to look at a wonderful story. This is one of those stories about Jesus that once you hear it, you've got it. Uh, it just stays with you for many reasons, and uh, I think we'll explore some of those today. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, from Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. May God bless the reading of his word. Good song. I love that song. I love this passage, too. This is a passage that is so filled with many different kinds of meanings. But the one thing that really draws my attention to this is that Jesus says that this woman has great faith. Now, he says this to other people as well in the Gospels. But anytime I hear Jesus look at someone and say, you have great faith, well, that story immediately becomes important to me because I want to have great faith. I have faith, but at times I feel my faith is small, and I want it to grow to be great. And so anytime Jesus points out someone and says, this person has great faith, then I want to know that story. I want to know what they are and who they are and what they did so that Jesus would say something like that to them. So as I began looking at this story again at the beginning of the week, a lot of different ideas came out, and I was trying to kind of put them all together into a sermon because I wanted to flow from one thing to another. And finally, about midway through the week, I just threw up my hands and said, I can't do it. So what I did was to choose three ideas that come out of this story that are somewhat related, though not totally. But I just want to throw these out here to you and see if maybe one of them or more stick with you and, and, and inform you so that your faith can grow into great faith. Observation number one about this story. Jesus is full of surprises. Now, this story really emphasizes how surprised the disciples were, but it also catches me by surprise. Was anything in this story that kind of surprises you about Jesus? The interesting thing, though, is when you start realizing what you're surprised by as you're reading the story, 
Those are not the things that surprise the disciples. And the things that surprise the disciples do not surprise us. But let's work back through the story quickly and notice how surprising it is. Jesus leaves the area of the Jewish people, and he had just had an encounter with the leading religious people of his day, the people that everyone else held up as being the most righteous, the best folks around. Jesus had said, you are blind guides, and you're going to lead blind people, and you're going to both fall into the pit because no one can see where they're going. Now, that doesn't surprise me because when I see the word Pharisee, I think Pharisee. But that surprised the disciples because these were the religious leaders of the day. Jesus leaves that area, goes into Tyre and Sidon area, which is Gentile territory. Are you surprised by that, that Jesus would go into Gentile territory? Doesn't surprise me at all. But the disciples were surprised. This would be tantamount to today a Jewish person going down to the Gaza Strip, hanging out with the Palestinians. It's just not what you do. And in fact, while he's there, a Canaanite woman comes out. Now, if you are a New Testament person and you don't spend much time reading the Old Testament, then the word Canaanite is kind of a strange word to you because that is an Old Testament word. It's kind of a word of derision that this woman, she is a Canaanite. The Jewish people didn't think much of the Canaanites all the way back to the time whenever they came and possessed the land and were supposed to push all the Canaanites out, but they didn't. And here, centuries later, is this woman, a Canaanite woman, comes out and calls out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Because my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And the way Jesus responds to that, he totally ignores her. Ignores her, doesn't say a word to her, won't look at her. Are you surprised? I am. That's not the Jesus I know. Is it the Jesus you know? Why would he not talk to this woman? doesn't say a word to her. Were the disciples surprised by this? Not at all. He was doing what he was supposed to do. You weren't supposed to make eye contact with people like that. You certainly weren't supposed to talk to people like that. Jesus was doing what he was supposed to do, just keep on walking. Well, the woman keeps following and crying out, so finally the disciples come to Jesus and say, you got to do something about this woman. She's really bugging us, you know? I mean, she's just there, whine, 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 whine. You know, get rid of her. So Jesus looks at the woman and says, I was sent only to the people of Israel. In other words, I'm not going to do anything for you. You're not my kind. Surprised? (laughs) I am. Were the disciples surprised by that? Not at all. That's what you're supposed to say. That was the right answer. But the woman won't give up. And she keeps following. And finally, she falls down in front of Jesus and she begs him, Lord, help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, 
Do you take food that you cook for your children and feed it to your dogs? Surprised? Doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Were the disciples surprised by that? Not at all. Dogs, that was what you call people like that. It was in their vocabulary. It was still a cutting phrase. Jesus had just called this woman a dog, which is not complimentary today, and it wasn't complimentary then either. But the woman has a punchline. She won't give up. She says, but Lord, the dogs at least get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. And because you've said this, then your daughter has been healed. Are you surprised? I'm not. That's what he's supposed to do. That's my Jesus right there. (laughs) Now he's doing what he's supposed to do. Do you think the disciples were surprised? Yes. (laughs) What are you doing? Coming out to this land, this woman, and doing something like that. One observation about great faith is, is that we serve a Jesus who is full of surprises. And if we ever get to the point that we are not surprised by Jesus, then our faith is not growing. If we believe that Jesus is alive, loved what John had to say, didn't you? Yeah, at the Lord's Supper table. If we believe that Jesus is alive, then we believe he's here. If we believe that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and is at the right hand of God, we believe he is still active. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised if he does something. But even more than that, If we believe he is the son of God, that he was involved in the creation of the world, then how dare us ever come to the conclusion that we can figure out what he will do, that he will never surprise us? How dare we ever come to the conclusion that we're upset with him because he didn't do what we thought he should do, nor should we ever say that Jesus didn't do that because he wouldn't do that or we're not expecting him to do anything at all. Jesus will surprise us. Therefore, great faith is called upon to follow a Jesus that we don't always know what he's going to do, where he's going to go, what he's going to say. But we trust him because he is the living son of God. And our allegiance is to him, not to our understanding of him and not to our expectations of him, but our allegiance is to a living being who has the power and freedom to do what he thinks is best. And therefore, we give him homage, we give him thanks, and we pledge to him that wherever he goes, whether it be Tyre and Sidon, whatever he does, we will love him. 
soon as I say that, I'm sorry, my mind gets to racing and I think, oh, don't say that, do say that. But I, I got to throw out one more time. One of my favorite little devotional parts that I've ever, uh, little paragraphs I've ever read was Thomas Akempis. If you ever read Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ, if, you, if you've never read that book, just you need to get a hold of that and just read his devotional thoughts. But one of the thoughts that he says that has stuck with me for now 30-something years is he said, Lord, I love you. And even if you decide I must go to hell, I will love you still. You know, that kind of allegiance to Jesus and to God, no matter what, that is great faith. Second observation. I want to zero in on this woman's prayer to Jesus or her plea to Jesus. When she first comes to Jesus, she says, Lord, have mercy. That prayer has come down to us through the centuries in the original language of Matthew. It's a prayer that many of you have heard and know. It's the prayer that says, Curie eleison, Lord, have mercy. And the reason that prayer remains is because that that prayer was said not just by this woman in Scripture, but all through Scripture. People call out to God and call out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy. Curie, eliaison. On two different occasions, some blind people approach Jesus and they fall down before him. And what do they say? Lord, have mercy. Lepers come to Jesus. And what do they call out to him? Curie, eliaison. When Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a man standing there who had a son who was epileptic. And he kept having epileptic fits and he just lost total control. He said he even would roll around and get into the fire sometime. And what did the man cry out to Jesus? Lord, have mercy. As Jesus was walking through Jericho, he got on the outskirts and there was a blind beggar there named Bartimaeus sitting there just trying to get enough money to get food for the day. And when he heard that Jesus was walking by, what did he call out to him? Curie, eliaison. And when two men went into the temple to pray, and one of them told God how good he was and how all the wonderful things he was doing, but the tax collector stood at the back and beat his breast, and he said, Lord, have mercy. I want to propose that a part of the prayer life, a large part of the prayer life of people with great faith is, Lord, have mercy. Because people of great faith realize that we're never going to get it together ourselves. We realize as hard as we try, and we should try hard, we're never going to always say the right thing and do the right thing. We're never going to live up to all the full expectations and potential that God has given us. And so every prayer we pray ought to say somewhere in that prayer, Curie, eliaison, Lord, have mercy. This woman of great faith knew her place. And yet she had enough boldness to cry out for the mercy of God. So those of us who want to have great faith, we're reminded of our place. 
And we know that we have no bargaining chips at all with God. We have no right to ask him for anything except his mercy. One last observation. I believe that this story combined with the story right before it, you know, we often point out that you should really never read just one story out of the Gospels because they're paired up with other stories, the one before it, the one after it. It's really the flow of the stories that teaches a lot of the lesson. If you go back and attach this story to the story it is attached to, the story that begins in the first part of chapter 15 of Matthew, then you find out that a great faith teaches us and changes us Great faith changes us from me to you. Great faith, when it finally infects us, when it finally sinks in, it changes us so completely that it is no longer about me. It's about you. Well, how do we see that? Well, if we go back and look at the thing that Jesus was talking to with the Pharisees when he called them blind guides who are leading blind people and they're all going to fall in the pit. Do you know what the great theological issue they're discussing at that point is? Whether or not you should wash your hands before you eat. Now, kids, if your parents tell you to do that, that is important. Do it, okay? But it is not a religious tenet. It is not a law of all times. And it had nothing to do with germs, What did it have to do with? Well, it had to do with the fact that before you ate, you might have touched someone who was not worthy to be touched. That after all, you are special. You are set aside. And as you interact with other people, there are times that you have to touch them. And when you do, it makes you kind of dirty. And so you have to go and you have to wash your hands so that you get rid of any of that contact with other people and other things, so you can once again be special. Jesus went berserk at that. He talked some about the clean and unclean food, but what he said is, if you want to know what makes you dirty, it's not the other people you touch. What makes you a dirty person is what comes out of your heart. If it's the wrong things, If what is coming out of your heart is hurting anyone else, then you are defiled. Then you are dirty. And he names some things that makes you dirty. He talked about evil intentions and murder, adultery, fornication, theft, lying, slander, gossip. He says these are the things that make you dirty. You are to be, if you are people with great faith, people who are not so concerned about yourself as you are about other people. It is so easy for us to make our faith and our religion about me. How do I feel? Do I like this? Is this helping me at all? What's going on inside of me? Me, me, me. Great faith turns us around. And great faith asks the question, How am I impacting others? And what am I doing for them? Or am I doing something to them? Jesus went and associated with people that others felt like were not worthy. And he found among them a person he could say, this person has great faith. 
Three things that come out of this story to me that will help my faith grow. One is to remember Jesus will always surprise us and not to get too confident in my understanding of him, but to let him be the one who leads and I will follow. Two, to remember the prayer, Lord, have mercy. And three, to make sure that my faith is turning me inside out and it's no longer about me, but it's about you. Now, I don't know where you're in your faith. You may already have great faith or you may feel your faith is small. Pray that you will let some of this story sink in and help that faith begin to grow once again. You may be at a point in your faith where you finally are to the point that you want to make a public confession that you believe, that you do want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You want to follow him. You want to be baptized into him. You want to put his name on you so that the rest of your life you will live as one of his. Then today's a good day to step out and to let your faith grow. Perhaps you've done those things, but your faith has become stagnant. Let this little story of Jesus begin to break those boundaries and to help us so that one day whenever he looks at us and we are sitting there saying, Lord, have mercy, he'll say, ah, you have great faith. Let's stand and sing.